I was just thinking about our country right now, and I was thinking of the nation of Judah and Israel and uh, when the enemies would surround them. And uh, when those good kings would step up and seek the Lord and uh, be delivered from their enemies. I think as a nation, that's really what we need to be doing right now. I think a lot of, a lot of Christians are just sitting kind of dormant, not doing much of anything, just sitting silently. And we need to, we need to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, it may not look like much on the outside, but prayer is one of the most powerful tools we have. And we need to daily wake up in a, in a prayerful state, uh, praying for our nation praying against these enemies because these attacks that are happening is definitely demonic. I definitely believe the Lord is working something in the United States. And uh, I have to pray to the, that the Lord doesn't, uh, well, the Lord won't do it, but that I don't harden my heart and that I don't, I don't start feeling some kind of way towards everything that's happening because it stirs up a lot of anger in me and uh, I can start thinking many different ways. And I have to ask the Lord to calm me and to, to bring me back down and to, to remind me of who I belong to. In, uh, in my, in my um, reaction and in my speak about these situations. But, you know, just like the enemy surrounded Israel, the enemy is surrounding us as believers too. He, they're all around us, but we got a, we got a Lord and Savior that is there to fight our battles. And that's something we got to think about. And we, uh, as we're going to get into the Scripture today, we're going to see, once again, the enemies going against Judah, bringing condemnation against them, and everything, but we're going to see two prophets who definitely brought a word of encouragement and a word of direction to the people of Judah to get them going. But before we do that, I want to talk about a question that was brought up last week. And uh, Jennifer's not here today. It was actually a question that she brought up, and it was a good question. If you remember reading through chapter 4, there's a section of scripture in there that just seemed really out of place. Um, there's three kings that we have talked about at this point uh, in the book of Ezra, and that's Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. That's the three kings that we've talked about so far in this book. So she was asking about the three different kings and how Artaxerxes came in, it seemed like in the middle of Darius, and like how was that? taking place. Now, I knew these three different kings. It wasn't just a different name for Darius or what have you. So I went back and did a little bit of research because I thought that was a uh, really good question that she asked and, and something I think we should think about. So we see the three kings. Here we see Cyrus, Darius the first, because there was also a Darius the second, but that came much later. And we see Artaxerxes. The rebuilding of the temple happened around 516 BC, the actual rebuilding of it, because we know there was a lot of delays in building because of the people that were there in the area, uh, stopping them from building, writing letters to find out if they could build it, all that mess. So 516 B.C. was the building of the temple. It is also recorded, this date, in Haggai and Zechariah as well. So you can look up in their books talking about uh, the building of this temple. Darius I reigned from 522 to 486 B.C. So this rebuilding of the temple actually happened in his reign. He had a very long reign, which included the time for the building of this temple. And here's where it gets a little bit of confusing, confusion whenever we start reading through this. And if you just read it, read through it, you may not even notice it. And I'm so glad she brought it up. Uh, Ezra is not fully in chronological order. And, and that's where a lot of the confusion with this comes in. Uh, I'm not sure why this is the case. 
we're going to talk about a little bit of the theory behind that, but in Ezra chapter 1 through 4, up to verse 5 of chapter 4, talks about them coming back. When Cyrus gives the decree, they're coming back into the land, they're going to set the uh, foundation of the temple and start building it. So this is what chapters 1 through 4, verse 5 of uh, chapter 4 starts off with, concerns Cyrus. And that was about 538 B.C. So that was definitely before Darius. Uh, unfortunately, their opposition to building the temple came around and it would not be completed as, at this time. So the story picks up, which we'll be reading about today, uh, about a letter that was written by Tatanai to Darius. Uh, the decree of Darius to rebuild the temple and the actual building during the reign of Darius takes place during chapters 5 and 6. So I hope y'all still with me. I'm trying not to confuse y'all too much on that either because reading through it is a lot. Uh, these events happen between 521 and 516 B.C. So that's during the time of Darius. And they are also found, you can see it in Haggai and Zechariah. So what can be confusing is Ezra 4, verses 6 through 23. If you remember that, they were writing to Artaxerxes in those particular verses. He didn't come to after Darius. But we see it smack dab in the middle of chapter 4, which can be confusing for some. And I think with Jennifer, it was a little confusing for her. And she had a great question on it. So Ezra 4, 6 through 23 they consider that to be an interlude involving things that happened quite a bit later. They're thinking that this particular part of the scripture should have probably been between chapter 6 and 7, maybe. Not in chapter 4. So these verses uh, are out of order right here. So if you look at uh, verse 24 of chapter 4, that's the last verse of chapter 4. It says, Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued into the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So prior to that, the verses prior to that all talks about Art Azorces. Then all of a sudden we jump back to Darius. So verse 24 should have actually picked up after verse 5 of chapter 4. So that's where the mix-up, I think she was saying, well, they talked about this king, but this king... You know, how, 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 much, how much was the timeline in between and such like that? Well, this particular portion of, of Scripture probably should not be sitting in this section. But the reason they think it was is because it was written, written in Arabic. And I think they lumped all the Arabic for this particular book all together in one section. Uh, but the rest of it is written in Hebrew. So that's why they think this piece was actually put in that particular area of Scripture. Y'all tracking with me? All right. So I went back and reread it, and I was like, yep, you know what? She's right. This king is out of order where he should be. So that's the explanation for that. I wanted to make sure I covered that. Uh, that way, if there was any other questions about it or confusion, that's probably why that is placed there. So let's go ahead and move on to chapter 5. So we've seen in chapter 4 that the people in the surrounding areas were sending the letter off. They wanted to give the Jews coming back into ter the territory a bad name. 
and I uh, really wanted to defame them and uh, make it seem as though they were no good and that they don't belong there. And remember them sending the letters off. So we're going to go ahead and start in verse 1. And it says, The prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of, of the God of Israel who was over them. So we see these two prophets. The Jews were definitely at this point discouraged in going back to Judah, back to Jerusalem to start building this temple. Cyrus had gave them the, the decree to go do it. They show up. Opposition is facing them. I think that's the same way that works with us. When God gives us a mission, opposition is facing us, no matter what it seems to be. But they were pretty discouraged at this point, but we see Haggai and Zechariah are going to have a few prophecies and a few words of encouragement to the people of Judah to continue on in their mission. Haggai said in Haggai 1.4, it says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? He's basically saying, oh, let's go. It's time to start working. Why are you sitting inside of your houses that you built for yourself, yet the temple of God is still lying in ruins? He's telling them to get up off their rears and start getting to work. And we just talked about Christians not needing to have a cold heart, they're needing, needing to, to step up and be a voice and a light in this society that is dark. They need to speak louder than the voices that are speaking out against God right now, against the the enemies of God are speaking out right now. We need to be louder than them. We need to get up and start doing the work that God has entrusted us to do. And that's what Haggai is telling the people. You're sitting comfortable in your houses right now. Why are you not out there building the temple of God? Is that not the command that God had given you to do? Is this not the decree that Cyrus sent you back to Jerusalem to do? Why are you sitting comfortably in your houses? It's time to get back to work. And with Haggai, when he would prophesy, he was very practical in what he spoke about. He was not real mystical and, and what have you like Zechariah was, in which we'll speak about him in a minute. But Haggai is telling the people basically, hey, get up, get out of your houses, it's time to go to work. And that's what we need to do as believers, it's time to go to work. We're having opposition right now, it's time to go to work. You're being persecuted, it's time to go to work. And often the church grows leaps and bounds whenever they are truly being persecuted by the world as the Lord strengthens the church to go out and do its work. And that's what Haggai is telling the Jews to do. Get up and go do the work. And that's a word for us today. We need to get up and go do the work of the Lord. But then we see Zechariah, on the other hand, shared visions and heavenly insights with Zerubbabel and the leaders at that time. Both of these men were used greatly to stimulate the people to get up and start working again. And we see here that Zechariah had given an encouraging word to Zerubbabel. In Zechariah 4, verse 7, he says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and you shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. So, Zechariah is saying, You began a work, and it will be brought to completion. He's telling Zerubbabel, the work that you began, that the Lord gave in your heart, yeah, it's been rough. Yeah, it seems like there's been all kind of stops and you don't see God moving right now. 
But that work's going to be completed. Just like the work that the Lord has, has already begun in us will be completed. He's not going to leave it undone, unlike a lot of projects I have in my house that I can tell you that are left undone. God's work will not be left undone. So he's saying that there's coming a day when the headstone will be placed and the people will shout out grace, grace. So God's work, this temple will be completed. And in the verse right before verse 7 of Zechariah 4, it says, So he answered and said to him, This is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel, to, Lord to Zerubbabel. That's a, that's a name to say, Zerubbabel. Uh, not, by my, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So the work was going to be done not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of God. And we can get discouraged just like these people here in, in Jerusalem were getting discouraged that, hey, all this opposition is coming against them. They're having to stop the work. They're wanting to do what God wants them to do, but there's so much in their way and that they're, now they're not even thinking that God is working to get this temple completed. And we'll see the opposition in our lives. You know, George spoke on Sunday about how the Jews would come to the Red Sea and there was a mountain on the right and a mountain on the left. And, and, and he said the sea of uh, impossibility in front of them. You had the Egyptians in the back. And sometimes we can feel like that in our lives. You know, God changes something, wants to move us in a different direction. And it just seems like the opposition is pressing down hard on us. You know, things aren't good, going good at work. Or maybe, maybe you get let off of a job and now you don't know where your, your income is going to come from. Or you don't know where your next blessing from God is going to come from. But just realize whenever you're being pressed like that, God is still working. And he tells his dad, guess what? It's nothing that we're going to do to get us out of that situation. It's not our power, it's not our might, but the Spirit of God is going to get us out of those situations. And the whole time the Jews here are probably thinking that maybe God had forgot about us again. But whenever it's quiet and you don't know what the next move is, God is working to make that next move for you. And he's doing the same thing for the Jews here, that he was going to make the next move to where they'll be able to start building that temple and bring it to completion. Zechariah even had a word for Jeshua, the high priest. Now, when we go, I'm going to look at this. You don't have to turn there, but in Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 4, it says Joshua. But it's the same, same people, just a different spelling that they use. In Zechariah 3, verses... Uh, Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. The accuser of the brethren. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Now when they talk about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, they're talking about none other than Jesus Christ. In this scene here we see Satan ready to condemn Joshua for what he has been doing and bringing up 
the old stuff in his life to try and get him to be discouraged in what he's doing. And we know Satan does that to us all the time. Every day, you know, you're riding to work and then something you did way back in the past comes up and you feel down about life. It happens on a regular basis. He's constantly wanting to accuse us of our past. But in verse 2, Jesus said that, is this not the brand plucked from the fire? Is this not the stick that I plucked from the fire? The angel of the Lord said, in other words, I have plucked this stick out of the fire and this is my man. Joshua was his guy. He was the one to lead them into uh, the spiritual aspect of worship again into the temple. And guess what? You are God's guy. You are God's girl as well because he chose you to be that. He plucked you out of that fire of destruction. He plucked you from that place of destruction. And then it goes on. It says that Joshua was, was in filthy garments, so he was not feeling good about himself. He felt unworthy about himself and what he was doing, and I'm pretty sure the enemy was condemning him and coming down hard on him. But just like Joshua was in his dirty garments, our works, even our best works, are like dirty rags before the Lord in comparison to what his righteousness is. But in verse 4 it says that he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy, filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquities from you, and I will clothe you in rich robes. And that's exactly what Christ has done for us. When he died on Calvary's cross and he rose from the dead, he removed those filthy garments of sin, iniquities, our transgressions. He removed all that from us and wrapped us in his robe of righteousness. That's what he did for us. And we can rest in that, that we are wrapped in his robes of righteousness. Because when God, when God sees us, he doesn't see the filthy rag anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ that is around us. And those sins that, that kept us dirty no longer apply to us anymore because of that sacrifice that was made. So here we see the prophets Haggai and Zechariah encouraging the people of Israel to continue to build the temple, to continue to move forward with the mission that God had given them. And in verse 2 it says, So Zerubbabel, the son of Shelotel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So they got up, just like Haggai said, get up and go build the temple. Get out of your house, off your couch, your little cozy couch you have, go build the temple. And the consequences of this type of preaching and the prophets was that Zerubbabel, the governor, and Jeshua, the high priest, spurred the people on to recommence the building of the temple. They got them back on track. They got them motivated got them encouraged to go back and start doing the work of God. And that's what prophecy does for us. That's what a word of encouragement does for us, is to get us back on track. In 1 Corinthians 14, we read that the purpose of prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and to comfort. It's not to tell me, hey, I'm prophesying a million-dollar mansion for you, Brandon. That's not what prophecy is about. Prophecy is to edify, to exhort, and to comfort the people of God. And that's what Zechariah 
and Haggai are doing right now. They're comforting the people of God. The purpose of prophecy is to build up, to get moving, and to bring comfort in time of affliction. That's what prophecy is about, and that's what they were doing right here. In verse 3, it says, At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Balzni and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them, Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then accordingly, he told them the name of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. So we see here, this guy here, Tatanai, tattletelling on them. You're building the temple. You shouldn't be building that here. This is not the way we do stuff here. This is not your land anymore. I'm going to write to the king, and I'm going to let him know all the evil you're doing. Sounds like some of the people today. Sounds like the politicians we listen to today. I'm sorry. But here we go. They're sending the letter out back to the king to let them know what's going on and who, hey, let's find out if y'all have permission to even do this. And the only permission they really need is God's permission. But hey, we're going to go through the formalities of it. So they sent the letter off. And even though God is guiding and providing and protecting them, the enemy doesn't stop. And we, and we know that. We know whenever we're doing the work of God and we know we can feel the Spirit working in us, we still have that condemnation from the enemy. We still have attacks from the enemy, either small or big. And in John 10.10 it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy and then Christ says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So all the enemy wants to do is steal your joy, to steal your physical abilities, to steal your finances, to steal whatever he can to take down a child of God. That's what he wants to do. But we see here that God says that he gives us, that Jesus gives us abundant life. And the Lord does give us life abundant. Our adversary, though, is always lurking, ready to destroy that. And that's why we must constantly put our trust in the Savior. We need to, hey, we're going through a hard time. Guess what? Trust in the Savior. Lose a job, trust in the Savior. Marriage is on the fritz, trust in the Savior. No matter what the circumstance, trust in the Savior. And we got a, we got a whole book of history of people trusting in the Savior, Trusting in what God can do and seeing them come out victorious. We have that right here. And that's what the Word of God, and we're going to read about that in a minute. That's what a word of encouragement or prophecy will do for us. It will keep us moving forward even when the enemy is coming to kill and to steal and to destroy us. In verse 6 it says, This is a copy of the letter that Tatanai sent says, the governor of the region beyond the river and Sheth Baznai and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king. Uh, they sent a letter to him in which was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judah, to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timber, 
is being laid in the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. So due to the attack of the enemy, work on the, the temple had been stopped. He just said that. The work on the temple had been stopped. We see Haggai and Zechariah encouraging Judah to get back to work. So we see them starting to get back into work now. And the people were recharged and renewed and work continued to such a degree that progress could not be denied. Spurred in what they did. It tells you right there in verse 8, said that this was the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones. Timber is being laid in the walls, and the work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Now, I wonder why it's prospering in their hands. Because we got a God that's prospering the work that's being done. Even when the enemy is jealous, even when the enemy is being loud, we got a God that is still going to prosper us in the work we do when we're doing it diligently to the Lord. And we're doing it according to his way and his will. He will prosper us. Even when everything around us seems like it's closing in, he's going to prosper us in whatever we do. And we see, that them, we see God doing that here with the Jews. And this is why it is so important for us to be in his word. So important for us to wake up in the morning praying and praising God and constantly be in relationship and fellowship with him. Just to have that confidence to walk into our day no matter what challenge comes along. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm not in the word every day, if I miss a day, if I miss two days, I struggle with all kinds of things. With my attitude, with my mouth, with my thoughts, I struggle. But listen, if I'm in the Word and I'm praying and I'm seeking Him, no matter what the opposition brings against me, it doesn't seem that bad. That joy of, of, of God is inside of me. And I'm able to conquer and take care of those situations that I have to walk through in that day, because I'm in constant relationship with him. And that's why it's so important that we get into God's word and we pray first thing every morning. I know George mentioned that too, about waking up. What's the first thing on your mind when you wake up? Is it God or is it, oh no, I got to go to work today and face these people? Oh. What is it? If it's God, if it's his word that is getting in your heart first, you're not going to worry about those other people. You're not going to worry about what you have to face at work or, or whatever it may be because you've got God that will be guiding you through it. And his grace can handle all of that. So that's why it's so important to cultivate that relationship with Christ and get in his word and spend time with him. He wants to spend time with you. Spend time with him. Verse 9 says, what does it say? This is what it says. It says, then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them names to inform you, uh, to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they returned us uh, an answer. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. Of course, they're talking about Solomon. 
says, but because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, we gave him, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon, those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to one named Shezbazar, whom he had made governor. Now that's Zerubbabel. And he said to him, Take these articles, go, carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same, Shezbazor, came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction and is not finished. By whose authority do you build this temple? That was the question of the day right there. By whose authority are you building? Are you building it on your own authority? Just because you feel like you have rights to this land because 70 years ago your people lived here? Who gives you this authority? And they, they basically say, we are God's servants. Right there in verse 11. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. That's all the authority you need. You need no other authority. But for Lanyap, they threw in there, also because Cyrus said we can build it. Kind of reminds me of something John MacArthur said, that God is telling us to meet, and I'm a paraphrase it, but God is telling us to meet. We are to fellowship together as believers and go to church, and Trump is backing me. Kind of paraphrased, but he says something along those lines. And they're saying here, God is the one who tells us. He is the ones, he is the authority that we go by. And oh yeah, we got Cyrus backing us too. And we're going to see in chapter 6, they're going to go look for that direction, that decree from Cyrus. But it is God who gives us the authority to do what we do. And if we're walking in the will of God, and we have opposition in this world, and they ask us whose authority do we have, we have God's authority to do what we do when we're walking in his will. And that's all the authority that we need here on earth, is to walk in God's authority. Then it goes on and says, kind of gives them a rundown in the history of how they ended up in Babylon. It says that, but because of our father provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king. So we went through Chronicles and Kings. We've seen all the ups and downs, roller coaster rides that the people of Israel and the people of Judah went through and how they spoke out against God and they did things that were contrary to God. And God finally had enough and said, well, we're going to get you right. We're going to send you into captivity. I'm going to get my Sabbath days back. And we're going to put you into captivity. And it says, yes, because of our sins, we were carried away into captivity. But rather than give up on us, our God allowed us to come back to the land and build his temple. This book right here is a, is a book of second, 
third, fourth, fifth, and the list can go on, chances. We've seen all the chances that was given to Israel and given to Judah, and all that is is a picture of the chances that God gives to us. Because I don't know about you, but I fall quite a bit in my walk with Christ. I'm sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. The Holy Spirit got me. I'm, I'm going to heaven. But my walk isn't always magnifying or, or, or mirroring what Christ is, how I should walk. It doesn't do that all the time. But God's always there to pick me back up, dust me off, and tell me to go. Let's keep moving forward. Don't go back. And we see God, after 70 years of captivity, sending the Jews back into the land to rebuild the temple, to give them a second chance. This is probably more than a second chance, but giving them another chance to get their relationship right with him. And they're going in to the land to build the temple under God's authority. So yes, we've sinned, we've messed up, but God is a God of second chances. We see that right here in Scripture telling us. And that's what the Word of God does. It reminds us and motivates us and keeps us moving forward with our walk with Christ. Verse 17, our last verse for tonight, it says, Now therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of uh, God at Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. So we see here the leaders of the region, the enemy of God's people, told King Darius to check to make sure that this decree that they're talking about really happened. And I think in their mind, they're thinking this decree did not happen. This is lying. They're lying to us because we know they are people who lie. We know there are people who go against the king. Because remember all those lies that were, were told in chapter 4 about what they would do, that that, that city would, was a rebellious city, and the enemy was laying it on thick. So right here, they're not believing that a decree actually came from Cyrus, but they would soon be proven wrong. And we'll see that in chapter 6 next week, that they would actually find the decree. The Lord is never late in what he does. He's always right on time. And what we consider lateness or slackness is right on time for God and is the right time. So they're going to find these, this decree in just the right time where they can continue to build the temple. Amen? All right, Father. Lord, just let your word speak hope into our lives. And in this, in this world we live in that just seems hopeless, Lord, let your word speak hope into our lives and let it build us up and motivate us to keep moving forward in our walk with you. Just as Haggai and Zechariah, uh, their words motivated the Jews, let your word of God, Lord, your word motivate us in everything that we do. And let your spirit speak and work in his daily, Father. We ask for this uh, blessing over everyone who is here today, Lord, and for those who are not able to make it, pray that your hand will be upon them and that you would just give us safe travels back home. In Jesus' name, amen.